0: You shall make decisions, your childs. <laughs> <laughs> I almost don't want you to edit this episode. <laughs> hey, we have room for B-roll. Don't worry. Okay. Oh, if we ever did an outtakes episode, this one would be best. <laughs> Three, two, one. Tonight, Hey everybody, you're listening to the Drunken UX podcast. I am your host, Michael Feenan.
1: I'm your other host slash flight attendant, Aaron Hill. How are you doing? That's a Mr.
0: continuation Michael. of a joke from last episode. <laughs> I still like the so, meme that I made for that. <laughs> so go back. God. Would you like I'm to describe it attendant. for folks who yeah who did not get to see that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're have to we'd retweet it. Uh it's Ralph Wigum, and he's dressed up what oh he's dressed up as a Canadian Mountie, right? And yeah. I, I put the caption on it says
0: I'm a flight attendant. <laughs> w- and that makes me wish like I am I have a fairly uh versatile voice. Um but I don't do impressions well. The I, the only impressions that I really have in my repertoire are uh Gollum Ooh. and uh Baby Animal from the Muppet Babies. Okay. I mean that that Wait. that's it. That's what I got.
1: Let's hear Gollum.
0: Gollum? Yeah. Stupid habits they ruins it.
1: It's quite good, very, very good. That's worth it. Like if you have to give up all the other impressions to do that one, I, I think it's worth it.
0: I, I do a youth leadership program at the middle school, and uh, the kids do love that. That—that uh, <laughs> that is a favorite. <coughs> that uh, baby animal is just a variation on that, though. You just take it down a little bit um you do you remember the muppet baby yeah the cartoon yeah. yes um at the at the end of the episode when they're wrapping everything up uh baby animal will come in from like behind something or pop in or yeah like he's under the hamburger bun he's like oh yeah
1: i remember that <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god suddenly i'm eight years old again <laughs> <"Grr>, girl, <bye-bye." laughs>
0: so anyway this is the drunken ux podcast uh you are listening to episode number 32 today we are reviewing the 10 ux commandments or the 10 commandments of ux uh whichever you want to uh, put first in front of that this episode is brought to you by our friendly sponsors over at Newcloud. check them out at newcloud.com slash drunken ux uh they do interactive campus maps and and whatnot uh you can catch us on Twitter or Facebook at slash drunken UX. We are on Instagram slash drunken UX podcast, or you can come chat with us on Slack. Go to drunken slash Slack, and you can find us on all of those fancy special places. Uh, you did the Instagram, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it happened. It was like right. Yeah, right.
1: Right before the Slack. 20, I got it.
0: Yeah, like 20 seconds ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I I guess you're you've already started drinking. It I, sounds like
1: yeah yeah. So um, so I cracked out the the Balvenie again because tomorrow is my last day at my current job, and I begin a new one on Monday.
0: Excitement, yes. Anticipation,
1: yes. Both yeah. and terrified, <laughs> being terrified. Let me tell you, like I've been doing this professionally for fifteen years, and like. Starting any new job or anything is always like, oh my gosh, I'm not.
0: Am I going to be good that, enough for this? <laughs> that, that fear of a new code base, yeah, coming before you, yeah,
1: and just like being, uh, like being the person that you, your interviews and resume, like you presented yourself in those ways, and yeah, it, so it
0: it really goes a long way toward this idea of imposter syndrome, right? It's like. When you've done a job for 15 years and done it successfully, you are qualified in that job most likely. And to still have that kind of you know fear or anxiety of making that change, it's very telling of how stressful it is to write code. Frankly,
1: really, yeah.
0: And it's not just what you're going into. Then you also have to you you have that kind of that voice in the back of your head that's like. And what are the people who are taking over for me going uh-huh. to think about the stuff that I have left for them?
1: Well, I wasn't thinking about that before,
0: but thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no problem. Uh, you can blame my drink this evening. I am drinking uh, Toki. It's a Ooh, what? Japanese whiskey. Okay, Toki. T-O-K-I. Uh, it's from Centauri. It's sort of the, the bottom end of their, uh, their line, which includes Hibiki and the Yamazaki. Okay. Uh, both of which are also fantastic. The hibiki's is okay. Like, I mean, the hibiki's not, like, fantastic, but it's good. Um, Yamazaki is incredible. I love Yamazaki. Uh, hmm. Toki is – it's just a good casual drink. Um, it's not going to blow you away. It's not like uh, – I'm trying to think of – I'm, it... I'm trying to be complimentary of it because I am drinking. It's like it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just definitely not as interesting. Uh, and is it it's, good it's for got a relaxing? flavor to it
1: that, is it good for relaxing times?
0: It's, uh, yeah, I mean.
1: Make it Centauri times.
0: It's, it's, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it much better with a giant ice cube in it. <laughs> Let a little bit of water get into it and open it up a little bit. Okay. And it, it definitely makes it a little easier um, hmm. So if you're looking, at, I mean, it's worth a bottle. The bottle's very cool. It comes in this neat little rectangular bottle. that cool. You know, if you've got a little bar or something, it's a. It looks very nice on the shelf. Which is that's like the worst kind of compliment, right? That you can <laughs> give liquor. It's like, well, it looks good in the bottle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's there was a. Uh, I remember seeing an article a while back about. Um, it was this older woman in a small town, and she did restaurant reviews. And they said that she had this way of, like, throwing shade with a lot of subtext. And it was, like, when she talks about the environment or the service or, like, the way it's decorated and not about the food. And that's that's a bad review. But all of her reviews are positive. It's just, like, that's how she throws shade. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Hey, there's a lot to be said for that kind of art, though. Because at the end of the day... Everything is right for somebody. Even like uh, even something like Ruby. Yeah. You know, nobody actually takes Ruby seriously or thinks it's a good language. But you know, there are a few folks that get by with it. We do all right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you should see the eyes I'm making at Feenin right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and oh. now you know how uh, Aaron takes over the show. <laughs> What's Anybody a... is looking for me, you will find my body in a strip pit over off of 400 Highway. Uh. No,
1: haven't you read Ruby Developers are the nicest ones because we use the most hard emojis in GitHub?
0: Oh.
1: You're going to be buried under a pile of emojis. That's what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Uh. Uh, speaking of development, though, uh, you were talking with me, uh, what, a couple of days ago a little bit about an idea that you had. And I don't know where this was going from, but I wanted to just kind of... Talk about cause it because it sounded so, neat about this idea of APIs.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I can't go into too much detail about the, where this came from because I'm consulting on something and then we're not discussing it publicly yet. But, uh, Except the, the here. Well, the part that I can talk <laughs> about is, um, it, it led me to looking at, um, like sports APIs, like for sports scores. So let's say that you're a sports fan and you're also a developer. And if you wanted to get just like the latest like uh score updates for whatever team you really like um and then have it like automatically pull down and then shoot up to your i don't know slack channel or whatever um you'd think that would be a relatively simple task like that there should be like like a news feed or something that has that information but it, as it turns out the uh there are no that at least none that I could find public APIs even for NCAA scores. So like the best approach that I've seen, and this is after looking at Reddit and Stack Overflow and all of the usual haunts on the web. The best approach I've seen if you don't want to pay thousands of dollars is to just do like web scraping. So like web scraping of web pages that would have it reliably. Um the uh the pri the pricing of the APIs is not published on the site. It's like call us for pricing, which is code for me meaning like this is going to have lots of zeros <laughs>
0: <laughs> or nines it could have lots of nines you don't know
1: <laughs> lots of numbers there'll be lots of numbers on the left side of the decimal point
0: as a commas that's what you want to be it's not the numbers <laughs> that's that are scary right. it's the commas how many commas do you need yeah
1: oh that's that's clever that's like talking about how all of your bills have like blue stripes on them because they're all hundreds
0: yeah yeah I, I heard. I, I don't know. I guess maybe. I don't. What does a hundred dollar bill look like?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard that flex on a on a song one time. Someone was saying that like all their bills had blue stripes or whatever. Anyways. aren't
0: you too old to use the phrase flex casually? I have
1: I have kids, so it's like I'm a, ah, a translator. I'm, gotcha. I'm like I'm a tourist in that that realm. <laughs> uh, so,
0: so yes, but you hit on an interesting problem though, right? Is, right. Well, you know, so if you want weather. Right, If you want to pull up a, a mm-hmm. put together a weather app, there are publicly available APIs uh, through the NOAA mm-hmm. right, that you can go and sign up for that are free. Yep. Now, what is in them, of course, varies and can be extremely technical from a weather standpoint. Uh, but then if you're like, well, maybe I just want to pull in AccuWeather's information or weather.com's information, and you run into the, the problem of, yeah, they have APIs, but you have to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because they are adding proprietary data onto it. AccuWeather isn't just, you know, regurgitating NOAA. They're taking NOAA's data and combining it with a... Like interpretation. Yeah, and other analysis and other sources of data. And if you're interested in something like that, uh, Nate Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise, is fantastic. Uh, He goes into some of that and how that forecasting works, but not important here. Also...
1: We talked about all these uh, AccuWeather and Noah and everything on episode 17. The weather outside is frightful.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good episode. Go back and listen to that. I highly recommend it.
1: We roasted them so hard.
0: Um, We we did not. We were not kind. Um, (laughs) But they charge because it's their data. They have created Mm -hmm. something of value, which in legal lexicon means they have created something that has a copyright associated with it. Right. Um, it is proprietary information that does not exist outside of them. Right. But with sporting things, yes. this is somewhat more contentious.
1: Yeah, and so the article that you pointed me to was about well, the title is Major League Major League Baseball doesn't own stats after all, and it was the question the question that was debated in the court was whether or not someone can own, whether or not you can copyright a fact. So a fact in this sense is, um I use the scientific definition where it's like something that is observable about the universe around you. So like someone has a name and that name happens to be this thing. That's factual. That's a fact. And so can someone copyright that information? Or can someone copyright, uh, you know, the fact that a baseball game turned out with this uh you know score an outcome
0: right and and the answer was
1: it was it was on the side of the the, the api people right, like the fantasy yeah. league
0: well it no. it's it's on the side of uh yeah, I mean the fantasy league in this case, the right people saying we can share this information because yes. it's factual yes um, it it did not side with the uh, the major major league baseball in that aspect okay, yeah, yeah, that's right it it's a the reason it's become hard though and the why you don't see more of it is that people are afraid mm-hmm. uh if, because at the end of the day you know the, if you think about the let's take the NFL um I'm a big football fan uh, every football game you watch like you know this telecast is provided for the enjoyment of our audience any uh rebroadcasts descriptions or you know whatever about this game are strictly prohibited that's Mm -hmm. not actually true (laughs) uh and the fact that they are still allowed to even say it is kind of shocking to me uh for (laughs) any number of reasons but you can describe what happens you can relay those statistics because facts aren't copyrightable uh but people are so afraid of the lawsuit and at the end of the day and uh, The the way I described it to Aaron is it doesn't matter if you're right. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're right if you can't afford to defend being right in court, which is – not to get political, but it's a hell of an indictment on our legal system in general. But right. that is the sad state of things, and if the NFL is going to sue you over it, even if you have every right to be there, they can keep you in court and keep your money tied up and keep your lawyers tied up until – the problem goes away, so to speak.
1: Yes, and, uh, shit, and shit's weird. You know, you know,
0: we we talked a little <laughs> bit about licensing and copyright and stuff in, in one of the past episodes about open source uh, mm-hmm. and, and open source projects. So, this is something that, while it doesn't sound really technical or related to web development, it very much is. And in, mm-hmm. in this subject of APIs, you know, this idea of what is allowed to be, uh, let, let's, let's give an example here. So, my team, the Chiefs, mm-hmm. you know, they go 13-3 and three or whatever it was. You know, that is a historical fact. But let's, and, and I don't have an answer to this, but I'm going to throw it out there as an example. Uh, quarterback rating. Quarterback okay. rating is a manufactured statistic of the NFL that oh. extrapolates on other data that they have.
1: So there's like a trade secret with how they generate that number.
0: I, I think it is known how they do I think the okay. equation itself is understood at this point, uh, but basically. But it's, it's
1: ostensibly a trade secret. But,
0: like. but it's definitely, it's, it is an abstracted oh. statistic, right? I, I don't know. know if you could report on quarterback rating without huh. potentially falling afoul of a copyright. <laughs> because F- that is afoul. something they have, uh, they have created of their own okay. proprietary data. Huh, uh, And again, I don't have any, and I didn't, I, I was literally just thinking about it as we were talking, so I haven't looked up this stuff ahead of time to see whether or not that's true. I may be wrong, but yeah. I think it's one of those cases of, it's the thing that makes you stop a score. You know, right. how many runs a team got in a baseball game? How many, you know, baskets that, you know, uh, a player got in a, a basketball game? You know, those things are uh, like, let's call them a first party fact.
1: Yeah, well, quarterback rating would be an opinion, right? Because then you'd be taking, you'd say, from our perspective of this, you know, that this metric that we created, this is how what this is the information we're projecting onto this thing.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting concept. Yeah. Um, but oh,
1: it- oh, wait, wait! It's like the difference between a four-star hotel, which would be like an assigned rating by Michelin versus a hotel with a four star rating on google reviews which, yeah. which which would be copyrightable in that case
0: yeah I, I think it probably is um yeah and and it's something that changes over time for that matter yeah um, huh that's yeah it, there's a lot and i mean it goes to show why this stuff is sort of difficult and this idea that like when you think about let's let's talk about a, a sporting api and let's i'm going to go back to just i'm gonna go back to football because that's what i know uh the the sheer number of statistics uh makes it i think very difficult to figure out how you would aggregate an api over mm-hmm. you know any number you look at the box score on a game yeah and yeah you, scores are easy right mm-hmm. even scores over the quarters are easy but When you start tracking player statistics, when you start tracking season statistics, when you start trying – like, the thing – one thing I love, and this is is super cool. If you watch football um, and and haven't seen this, they are now doing – I think it's on the Sunday and, like, Monday night, the primetime games. um, Amazon has gotten involved, and they're using AWS to do, like, hardcore number crunching to calculate out things like – You know, when Patrick Mahomes throws a 63-yard pass to Tyreek Hill uh, in the flat, what are the odds of him making that pass with two guys covering? What? And they've got AWS taking in all this data from all of this historical passer information and who it was passed to, where, with who covering, and it figures out what are the odds, you know, the the forecast of – whether or not that pass gets made, you know, twenty two percent of the time, or whatever. wow, whoa, hey, let's uh, before we get too far down that rabbit hole, let's pull up a little bit and look at uh something a little bit more biblical, because <laughs> that's a rabbit hole. Uh, now I I found this article, and it came to me by way of, God knows what. I think maybe Jared Spool retweeted it. Okay. Um, it, um, maybe, I don't know. It was on Twitter, I think, is where I saw it. It one sure. way or the other. And it's an article from uh, uh, Phil Dulloland. I hope. <laughs> I checked ahead of time. Dullaland is what uh, okay. I got. So, Phil, I apologize, Phil, if I'm getting that wrong. As somebody who also has a very hard last name, <laughs> I hope you will uh, afford me a apology. Yeah, or no I man. will afford you an apology if I got it wrong and hope you accept. <laughs> he wrote an article on... The Ten Commandments of UX. Mm-hmm. Uh Phil is the lead UX consultant over at Redify. Uh I was reading through this. It's a very short article, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Very short, very simple, but very neat ideas, and it's things yeah. that maybe, you know, some of them you'll be familiar with, some of them you weren't you won't. But we wanted to kind of run through them, throw some of our own interpretation on these, mm-hmm. and <laughs> just talk a little bit about what makes for good design basically
1: i i the one thing i liked about this article is that i i um i think that the 10 ux commandments that he wrote are very much in line with my own views of what i think art makes good ux <laughs> 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 therefore i like it
0: <laughs> so like the the very first commandment is Hold on, wait, I I said I'm breaking out God voice for this, so that's it. Alright. You are not the user. <laughs> this is the idea that you know developers have a habit. And I'm guilty. I'm gonna I'm not like yeah. trying to throw shade at anybody here. I am guilty of this, and I know for a fact I have done this. Where you build something, you design something, you you put a feature out that works in a certain way because you are used to your sphere of influence and and Mm -hmm. your experiences and what they tell you. Uh, And that's rarely the case, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of everybody. (laughs) You know, the reason we user test, the reason we go out and bring in, you know, 10 people and send them on a user journey or give them a challenge and say, complete it and show us how you complete it is because we start to understand this idea of, staying in our own head mm-hmm. means we are limiting the experience to ourselves. Yeah. And if you want a product that is going to serve a million people, two million people, look at Amazon, a billion people, however many uh, folks are shopping at Amazon these days, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can't serve those people by limiting them to your sphere of experience. <laughs> right. That's, as, that's, great as, your,
1: as great as your experience may be.
0: Uh, yeah, it may be great, it but it's mm-hmm. limited. I mean, at the end of the day, There's I think no the, choice about it. The
1: the the easy pitfall to fall into with this is that if if you are a relatively savvy user and it's easy to look at this and think like oh, but like I use things in a very sensible way and I would think that other people would do the same. The first time you ever sit down and watch like a usability test you will be blown away with how ridiculous and crazy and weird people use the internet. (laughs) And
0: and that's not wrong, right? It's a lot of that is a consequence of their experiences with other things. Yes. And use things you do not.
1: And, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that as a criticism or like a a slam on other users who may not be as savvy. People do what they got to do. To get the answers they need, yeah, and and you don't know their story, like you don't know why they go to Yahoo and search for Google, and then go to Google and search for Gmail, and then go to click on Gmail, and then click on their saved links and use find the saved link that has the website they were trying to go to. I've literally seen that
0: <laughs> in the video. I like the when you're like you don't know their story. You, you even gave you the little head bob, like the sassy. Yeah. You don't. Know. <laughs> I like that. Uh, no, but you're right, and. I have, I have myself. I've, I've sat in meetings, and I'm sure, without a doubt, I have been guilty of this. Where you say, you know, our users are stupid about this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you you go into it with this almost off putting mentality of the users don't know, like they don't <laughs> yeah. get it, and that's <laughs> a really shitty way of approaching those. It's very flippant. It's very flippant. I'm sure
1: I've done it before, but and like, it's not a good. It's not a good attitude to have.
0: It's you need to apply this idea of Murphy's law of you know anything that can go wrong will go mm-hmm. wrong. Don't yeah. wrong is not the right word, but it's like anything a user could do that you don't expect they're gonna do. <laughs> That's you know there's a yeah. the, the corollary. I don't know what law that is. We'll call it Fenan's law because <laughs> I don't know if anybody said it first. So well, let's assume first. I did. <laughs> because I am not the user, I don't know if anybody else has ever said that. Uh, but I mean, that's the thing, though. That's that piece of get getting out of your that this idea argument, getting out of your own head. Write personas, create people that aren't you, that aren't mm. you know your junior dev, that aren't your senior dev, that make you think about somebody else. No, nothing is going to survive first contact with the user.
1: But but I mean it's true though and if you ever find yourself saying like why on earth would the user do that just get rid of remove that phrase from your vocabulary because the user is going to do everything ever like there is a long tail of things that the user will do with your application um so just be, be ready
0: yeah no and but I do I and I literally wrote that quote down in the notes when you said it Aaron because I love yeah. it <laughs> I, it's it's a turn on a phrase uh Dwight Eisenhower said it in, uh, regarding world or not world war 2 but mm, that's right Dwight yeah. Eisenhower said it so he yeah, it was the like president no, in 50 – no something. idea
1: survives the first
0: what was it no no plan survives first contact with the enemy yes that's um it. It, it's but it's a an incredibly raw sort of feeling on that and this idea that the first time a user touches your application and he breaks it Mm-hmm. And you're like, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. There's always a reason why he did it. Sure. And unless it is a pure bug in your code, in which case that's still your fault. <laughs> if he did something you didn't anticipate, that's, that's your fault. Fix it. I,
1: I, don't, I don't think you have to apply fault to that. I think that it can just be this happened and then it's your fault if you don't learn from it.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah like but I mean like you didn't know that this like you're in you're in the long tail territory now and the user just entered in a color in a text spot where it's supposed to put a price. Uh, who knows why but they did it. they wrote blue where you expect him to write a price and okay, so learn from that <laughs> if you don't, then it's your fault.
0: okay, I'm sending you over a digital stone tablet. And it has the number two on it. And it says, you shall consider Uthers superior to yourself.
1: I like how you said that.
0: Uthers. 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 It, maybe it's uh, y- Uthers.
1: Uthers sounds wrong. I, Uth- Uthers sounds weird.
0: <laughs> I appreciate what Phil was going for. Yeah. Uh, Which was a combination of this concept of users and others. I find it impossible to pronounce in a way that makes sense. (laughs) If I say others, it just sounds like I'm saying others. And so that doesn't work.
1: And you know, what's funny though, is that in the transcript, that will make more sense than in the audio feed.
0: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So this is this idea that you should always assume you're wrong, even if you're right. Yeah. Um, if you know in your heart of hearts that you know your user research or, or user research up to this point has told you something, but the information you're getting from your users is telling you otherwise, mm-hmm. you need to assume you're wrong then. You need to change the way you're thinking about it and go to those users mm-hmm. and figure out why things are different because yeah. at the end of the day, if they are telling you something that contradicts with your known knowledge base – Mm -hmm. that's all that matters and you should assume they are right and the knowledge base is wrong Mm -hmm. users change user habits change usability changes it always has uh that's literally you know if, if you look at the growth of everything from vehicles to vcrs to dvd players you know the history of usability in anything is a story of the user changing to adapt to the technology and the technology growing out of that as a result.
1: That's an interesting point. And I think that with any new technology, there's going... Remember that term? I, I really... I don't know how I feel about this term, but digital native. Yeah. Remember that? Like we talked about a lot in higher ed. Um, so with any new technology, there's going to be people who are native to that technology, who have never not known about it. And then people who are... Uh, what was the other flip to that? It was a digital tourist, digital visitor.
0: Uh, I think it was Digital Tourist is the one that I'm familiar with.
1: So people who, you know, uh, in more concrete terms, like people who used the world before the internet was, uh, before 30 years ago, you know, when the World Wide Web came around in graphical user interface way. Um, And then people who have grown up with that. So people who are born from that year onwards. Um, There's always going to be those two different audiences, no matter what. And so they're going to have very different experiences. I guess that's where I was going with yeah. this. It's well, just that and there's...
0: even like, take for instance, I just got an Instagram account last year. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a while, but it's now like the cool kids, Facebook, so to speak. Even yeah. Though most of them probably don't even realize it's owned by Facebook. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, surprise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, to me, like when I got into Instagram, I definitely felt like I was coming in from behind a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. Even though I've spent my entire life using this technology. But for me, it was a new thing at that point in my life. Whereas, yeah. I've been using Facebook since believe it or not, you used to have to have a .edu email address to get into <laughs> Facebook.
1: I didn't have it then, but I remember that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the The story here is, don't ignore signals in your data mm-hmm. if you're seeing complaints pop up if you're seeing common things come up through your your research don't ignore that don't write it off as well those are the people who are the outliers because yeah if that's what you're hearing then yeah. they probably aren't the outliers in a lot of cases we have a we have that i think uh instinct of saying well these things and going back to this idea you are not the user yeah we think it's wrong. It doesn't fit our expectations, so we assume that it must be an aberration. The reality mm. is it's the spike in the you know the uh normality in terms of what is telling us a problem is coming. Hey, uh commandment number three. Do you it. shall not kill. The research. The <laughs> research. Uh this is actually really straightforward and I kind of love it and it, I love how these things interplay too cuz we just mm-hmm. we, we literally get done saying don't ignore weird signals in your data yeah at the same time you need to pay attention to what research you have yeah so there's this quote that said uh, and I'm going to uh afford this quote to a hacker called the jester Uh, Oh, yeah. Because I don't know where else it comes from besides him, even Mm -hmm. though I think everybody has heard this in some fashion. it's There's an unequal amount of good and bad in most things. The trick is to figure out the ratio and act accordingly. And that, I think, is the art behind research, in that you have what you know in research and what you think may be coming from your users, and you Mm -hmm. have to find that balance of, where you know where you think abnormalities lie with user data or where you mm-hmm. think the the proven research should hold true mm-hmm. sometimes you have to go against that grain uh, okay and on top of that we're put into positions where you have to weigh what you have time to research you know we have deadlines we are given something you know a, the project manager comes to us and says hey by summer we are we're pushing out this product It's on its own timeline. You need to build X, Y, and Z. And we need to find ways to balance these things so that we aren't sacrificing that feedback for things like speed or budget. You know, user research can be very expensive, for instance. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, you get creative. Maybe you can't do good, thorough user research, but you can collect data. Sure. Uh, The the thing, and I I think it's in Phil's article, he talks about guerrilla research, guerrilla UX.
1: You mean the G-U-E, not the, G-O-R.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, as somebody who came from a school with a gorilla as a mascot. <laughs> no, this is Gorilla Radio. This is Gorilla Podcast, Gorilla UX. Uh, <laughs> this is the idea of, you know what, if you build a thing, go ahead and throw some tracking on it. Yeah. Now, we use Google Tag Manager at, at, at our company. If I'm building out a new tool, it takes me... Five extra minutes to go in mm-hmm. and tie a trigger to some click elements. Yeah. And just figure out, are people clicking them? Or are they scrolling? You know, there's all these different triggers you can use. I can figure out if people are getting to the thing or using the thing.
1: That was something we did when I was at Cornell, too. Um, we collected, we we threw up uh, Google Analytics on our site probably two years before anyone at all even remotely asked about it. And at that point they're just asking for like total hits or something like that. But like we had, by the time the marketing team actually wanted to start using that research, we had four or five years of of, like data collected at that point. So yeah.
0: And what is the worst case in that situation? Right. There's
1: literally none.
0: (laughs) The the worst case scenario is you have a bunch of data that you don't need. Yeah. Oh, darn. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the worst worst case is you didn't start it two years previous.
0: It it really <laughs> to throw in event tracking, to throw in mm. user tracking goals, whatever, you can attach this stuff very quickly and easily. Uh, and I say this as somebody who has access to all the tools, and I know that some folks, you know, your your analytics team may be a separate group, but you mm-hmm. can still work with them. You can still talk to them and say, Hey, we're pushing out this thing. If you want to, throw some triggers on it, whatever. Yeah. Uh, We'll throw back to episode 28. Uh, Go look out Steve Krug's book, Rocket Surgery Made Easy. It's Mm -hmm. all about figuring out how to do user research cheaply and quickly and easily to get some information from your users. At the end of the day, if you are developing and building a website and sacrificing the user research, then Mm -hmm. you are throwing away value. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Number, what, four? I think we're up to four. <clears throat> yes. You shall not base your judgment on assumptions. <laughs> this actually ties very closely into the third. It's a, a trust but verify trust mentality. But verify. I I like that. I like the trust but verify. Um, Because it comes back to, again, research will tell you what is generally true. But at the end of the day, you have to be honest with yourself if you are guessing at something. If you're building something new, if you're building something that doesn't have track record or things mm-hmm. behind it, it's okay to say, you know what, we're taking a guess on this. This is how we think people will behave. But it's important to be honest with yourself, but also with your stakeholders about those things.
1: I think that there's there's two things there. Um, one of them is. Uh, I don't know, did you ever read Blink by Malcolm Gladwell? No. no. He's, um, you know who he is, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, he's written a bunch of books, <laughs> he gave some TED Talks, um, but the, the book Blink was about, you know, kind of snap judgments and snap guesses. Um, I don't want to get into, like, the stuff about his background, about whether or his writing is it, accurate. It'll
0: probably be a series on Netflix in 2021, so. Right,
1: yes, yeah. <laughs> so, like, your feelings about Malcolm Gladwell aside... Um, the the book Blink was about snap judgments and how our initial reactions to something, like a very like experienced and seasoned person who works with art would look at something and just size it up and instantly know, I think that's a fake. Um I and for us developers it would be code smell. You know, like if you're uh, an experienced yeah. developer, you'd look at a block of code and you're just like, This needs refactoring. And maybe you can't elucidate specifically why it does. But you just kind of know, and then when you further investigate it, like, it turns out probably it did, but maybe it didn't. And and I think that's sort of this this idea that, like, you should trust your, your gut instinct and your experience, but then, like, follow up on it and ensure that, like, don't just instantly react to it. Like, follow up on it.
0: Yeah. Can By the way, can we make a t-shirt that says, it's not me, it's code smell? <laughs> is that a yes <laughs> yeah, who's blaming on the dog <laughs> um, i and I think the idea there philosophically from a development mm. standpoint is you know build things with the idea that you may have to change them if you're proven mm. wrong right uh I remember specifically at one point we had uh a listing where we had a button on top and a button on bottom okay and we again, we threw on some extra Google Analytics, and this was like one of those things where it was like, let's just do this. Nobody's asking for it. Nobody came to us and say, let's track these two buttons. We right. were told, put the two buttons on. And so we did because it wasn't the hill we wanted to die on. And <laughs> we were able to come back to that and show that the top button was not ever being used. Or was it being at least used to a degree that made it useful? Okay. And so we built it in a way that when we put that in, we kind of knew our assumption was people won't use that first button. So we made sure that if we came into a situation where we could remove it later, we could, that assumption was proven correct and we were able to adapt to that change then and simplify our layout as a result. Uh But it was because we knew that we had assumptions there that didn't fall and not not our assumptions assumptions by stakeholders uh but we knew those assumptions were incorrect
1: i th- I think that this is kind of like maybe the flip side of the coin from number was it one so you're not the user. Um, like, cause you're not the user, but you are an experienced web developer, whether you have three months or three years or three decades of experience. You can actually say three decades now. I don't know. No, you can't. Well, no, maybe you can, but <laughs> a person could because the web is three years old.
0: Let me say won't. Can I say won't?
1: <laughs> Anyways, you have that experience. And so, um, I think that. When you're faced with things where your snap judgment, like your, the code smell of it, or the idea smell, I suppose, is like, that's a bad idea. Um, I don't want to say weaponize the data, but like, it's a good opportunity to collect data to at least find out maybe you're wrong.
0: Tactical and data.
1: Tacti- <laughs> tactical <laughs> data. Does that mean it's like stainless steel and like sharp edges? I don't edges? know why,
0: but I just imagine a <laughs> Cardassian version of data on DS9. <laughs> that's a tactical data. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the funniest joke I've said in 32 episodes. And if you don't think that's funny, then you aren't keeping up.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm, I Initially I was laughing because I thought, is it Kardashian? <laughs> oh, even better. And then, he said, and then he said DS9 is like, oh, he means Kardashian with a
0: C, Kardashian. <laughs> Good joke no matter how you cut it. Hey, uh, while a he's... joke! While he's... <laughs> funny little (laughs) joke i can't even do it now i can't get in the yoda voice um hey uh you shall not covet features i like this one because the idea of you shall not cover features is very much tied to the less is more mentality
1: oh yes right and and, ooh, shiny syndrome
0: yeah yeah yeah. and everybody's got a competitor we all have Mm -hmm. a competitor you know look at uber and lyft for instance yeah and if all they did was look at each other's features and copy them endlessly, they would yeah. never innovate. They would never advance.
1: Well, and, and more so, like one of them will always be, uh, like, you know, if, if Lyft is always keeping up with the Ubers, then Lyft will always be second rate. And, and I, I don't think that's, that's not a good direction. Like, you shouldn't try to beat someone at a race. You should try to, like, win your own race. That's be a better a...
0: product. Man, that's just mean the Lyft. <laughs> well, I think, wasn't Uber first? Uber was first. Yeah, so... It doesn't mean they're worse. <laughs> Second fiddle, my God, man. Uh, <laughs> I no. I would love to use Lyft more, but we don't have enough Lyft drivers around here for me to use it, oh, unfortunately. Oh, okay. No, it's, uh, it, it, it is a good way to look at things, though, because even, uh, go back to uh, smartphones, <laughs> iPhone, Android, and the way they go back and forth and the running meme about whenever a- iPhone announces a new feature people are like, "Oh, mm-hmm. look, they're finally catching up to Google." And whenever Google <laughs> announces something, it's Apple users are like, "Hey, look, it's nice to see you guys finally catching up to us." Yeah. Um there's that I
1: can't tell who's more smug though.
0: Yeah, I relate this to a theme that we have said many, many times on on the show in the past. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think I I love this this uh a commandment which is do less better yeah that's what that commandment should be called do less better because at <laughs> the end of the day if you can't do the least amount the best way possible then why are you adding more stuff why are you looking yeah. at what all these other things are and trying to integrate them half-assed into a solution instead of doing the absolute least you can in a way that blows everybody else away, because that's what people will talk about
1: we we have a a quote, and i wasn't sure if it was something that you said or we've quoted from somewhere else, but it says it's not about how much you can add it's about how much you can cut and that that reminds me of a quote I heard elsewhere, which was um about someone who said to their t- it was a team lead and they said it to their team, "I hate code,
0: I want as little of it as possible in our repository <laughs> i I'm I'm 100% not taking credit for that because it's out of Phil's article verbatim. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's that's where we're we're reading from our notes a little bit. But so sometimes I, Michael forgets to attribute things. <laughs> I I I remember when I was
1: like earlier on and when I was like a newer developer, I would be excited to see like positive deltas and commits. And now where I'm at now in my career is when I have a negative delta on a commit, it's like, yes, like well, I've reduced code.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that really does matter because reducing things means it's faster. It means it's mm-hmm. easier to cognitively process. Mm-hmm. It, it performs better. It does ev- everything is better. And this is something that goes, and I, I think that's why like this whole idea of it's not about what you can add, it's what you can take away. This mm-hmm. isn't a web development specific thing this idea has been around um since you know from minimalism to to all of you know the past design trends from the 50s to the 20s and before Um, simplification has always been a trend and wherever you can take advantage of that you should before you think about getting bigger and it's why if you're if you do agile development at all Mm -hmm or some variation thereof, or some not variation thereof. This concept of MVP comes up a lot, minimum minimum, or minimal viable product. Build yeah. the smallest thing you can that satisfies the need before you deal with all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you may find that all the other stuff isn't necessary to accomplish the goal that you're setting out.
1: There's a there's a quote that the first time I heard it was in uh, that the game is Civilization four. And it's when you discover the engineering technology and the, the quote, and I believe it was read by Leonard Nimoy, which is extra cool, but um, a designer knows he has achieved perfection not once so- there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. Yeah. And that's a quote by Antoine de and it's spelled Saint dash E-X-U-P-R-Y. I won't even attempt to portray it. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think that's that was really profound when I heard that the first time. And I I try to really think about that whenever I'm creating anything, it's like you know, murder the darlings and cut away as much as you can until you can really find the essence of what it is yeah. you're trying to create.
0: It's yeah, it's a very old concept, and it's one that's gonna mm. come into play in this podcast, because I'm watching my timer <laughs> and I'm realizing, oh, we gotta talk faster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um now, uh next up we have You shall ask why relentlessly this This, is a good one this is my favorite by far yeah because i do it uh i am in and i i apologize to my product manager i apologize to my uh (laughs) uh, my boss all these folks because i do i I sit down in meetings anytime especially folks from outside our group come in and say let's do this usually my first question is a variation on why why yeah. is this deadline the thing? Why is this thing seen a value? Why do we think this will accomplish what we want? Because at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I build the thing that mm-hmm. accomplishes the goal, not yeah. that I'm building the thing that was asked for. You know, it's,
1: there's a there's another reason to ask that why also, and that's because a lot of times the person – Uh, the person who's requesting the feature may be prematurely solving the problem. Right. And they're not communicating what the problem is. And I actually had this come up a month ago and then also today in a meeting where the product owner was saying, well, we really want to add this thing where we add a feature to the user's profile to toggle something. And I was like, well, like, but isn't this like... I remember you saying the problem was actually that the users were behaving in this way. So is this the best way to solve the problem or would there be a better way to approach it like with one where we can let the users be more responsible for their own behavior
0: um the it, so. it comes back to this idea right that especially in the case of stakeholders because a stakeholder is a very amorphous phrase yeah a stakeholder may be another developer but it may be a marketing person it may be a product manager it may be a CEO mm-hmm. in some cases and those folks think about problems very differently from us. It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it anything other than different, mm-hmm. but it, we, it, it is important to question motivations and also what they see as a need, because mm-hmm. even assuming they are right, assuming what they are going for is absolutely from a business standpoint is the correct way to go mm-hmm. as a developer. If you disagree with that, it's important to understand what their need is and what their motivation yeah. is, so that you get on the same page with them and that you understand why they're right, or that you figure out how to convince them that what they want isn't right. Um, yeah, that's a hard skill to learn, and it's one that's difficult to teach.
1: Some people don't like being asked why either; they don't like being questioned. Yeah,
0: yeah. Learning how to ask why can be very difficult, and I'm—I admit it. I'm closer to 40 than 30 and I still ask why like a child. <laughs> I literally just look at my boss and I say, "Why?" I I I once we
1: were switching a task tracking system and I was very vocal with my uh opposition to the the change and um our our PM afterwards in the elevator he he says like i admire your courage (laughs) i was my palms were sweating and like i I could feel like i had cotton mouth and like i definitely was having a full-on like anxiety fear response but like it needed to be said like i i if i left that room and i didn't say this thing i i would have regretted it and so i was like i i said all the stuff that i had to say and i No regrets. Yeah. (laughs) R-A-G-R-E-T-S.
0: You know, I think, uh, too, it's important to emphasize that asking why should be as much internal as it is external. Mm, Yeah. It's easy to ask other people, why are you dumb? (laughs) And we've already addressed the fact that that's not the case. They aren't dumb. They aren't stupid. They have different external forces. Um, Sure. But it's important to ask why internally as well because – You need to always be questioning your own motives to get Mm – this goes back to one of our earlier points that getting out of your own headspace, you know, putting yourself in your user's shoes because if you're constantly only working from your experience, you aren't building the right thing. There's a great article over at Prototyper. Uh, It's by – and again, why does everybody have hard names? I apologize. (laughs) Uh, Brandy Heft Neffen. I think that's right. I think that's a correct uh, pronunciation. She has a fantastic article that goes over, and I think the the title of it is The Magic of the Why in Design. (laughs) There is a quote in that article that is, uh, when we can explain why we did something to someone, it reinforces our standing as professionals and eventually as experts in our field. And that's that idea of, being able to sit down, ask ourselves why introspectively, forces us to be better, and it's the difference between like a junior dev and a senior dev. Doing the thing because you're told versus being able to do the thing that is right and explain why.
1: I really like that quote. I think that um, it's it's the importance of challenging anyone, like whether you're challenging someone else or they're challenging you or you're challenging yourself. Because it it avoids arbitrariness. I think that arbitrariness in any kind of development of any kind is uh, like it it, it shouldn't happen. Like to get back to that trust but verify thing that we talked about earlier. So uh, the one other point that I wanted to add to this item was um, a long time ago I had a creative nonfiction uh, prof, uh, Jean Harper, and she said, "Murder your darlings," and and what that means is when you're writing. And you you take all the paragraphs or all the sentences out and you like review each one. If there's ever one that you just always keep in and you can't really explain why you're keeping it in, you should remove it immediately. Because it's you're too attached to it and you're getting in the way of the story. And I think that that probably applies to tech because we can get really like... Like, oh, I really want to use this function, or I really want to use this technology or something, and, and we're not not—we're thinking too
0: selfishly, and we're not
1: thinking about what, what best serves the users.
0: We're not asking why. Yeah, exactly. Why is that the thing? The next one, this is a big one, and I look at my notes, and I'm like, there's a lot here, and I know I'm going <laughs> to speed through them, because at the end of the day, we've got another episode coming up, so yeah. stay tuned, because we are going to go over this in more detail. We're we're intentionally shortchanging this one because we're going to do a whole episode yeah, about it. because there is yeah. more coming. So yeah. let me uh, let me get back into my so space here. Preview. <clears throat> you shall build accessible, inclusive products. <laughs> the bad part is I'm <laughs> at a point, and I apologize to everybody at home. I had some audio problems earlier, and I'm not feeding my uh, my microphone through my headphones, and I can't hear myself (laughs) so i hope god voice is hitting the notes it should be and i don't know that it is as a result throw some reverb on it this is i think more than anything and man let's throw this on the uh (laughs) t-shirt (laughs) shortlist be proud of your work i think that was an excellent t-shirt to make (laughs) i am proud of my work uh You know, there's a lot of reasons and there's, I have had conversations about this across the board, whether it comes to the work I do day to day, the podcast, my past life in in other web development projects, this idea of arguing for accessibility, inclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, And let me backtrack. Uh, I'm going to rewind four glasses into my Toki. (laughs) Four, five. AV5 there is a metaphor I like to use anytime mm-hmm. somebody comes to me and says oh well we're not worried about accessibility right now or <laughs> oh that's not a problem we need to deal with right. I always come back to this idea of if I had a chef brought in for your wedding and mm-hmm. they were hired to make your uh, your wedding meal what is that uh the the, the reception uh-huh. meal Yes, um, I've been, I'm married. I, I should know this. Uh, That's been so already be done. You can forget about if it. If the bride came in and said, "Hey, I need to save some money. I need you to make this with Always Save canned tomatoes."
1: Okay, so when I had never seen this brand before, and so Michael <laughs> sent me a picture. Of, and we have to put this in the on the article. He sent me a picture of the Always Save brand cat litter, and this cat is like the most meh cat i've it's, ever seen it,
0: it's all not quite the no <laughs> this, cat, yeah, but like it's, it's on the spectrum there oh this is
1: this is like the cat that they should put on the rocks scotch, where it's like it's technically
0: whiskey it's yeah it's a it's a the the cat is not happy with its situation. <laughs> always save is our bargain brand at the local groceries. Um, it's the one that is the cheapest. It's great for buying whatever, you know, canned asparagus or spinach or whatever, but it is the bargain basement. Um, and if you went to a chef, a professional (laughs) chef and said, Hey, I need to save money, make my meal with this. They would walk (laughs) off the job as a result. I would hope so. I exactly, exactly. Exactly. Maybe not walk
1: off, but, like, I would hope that their response wouldn't be, oh, absolutely, I would be delighted to do this. And instead, at least say, like, I urge you to reconsider.
0: Because (laughs) as a person who builds a thing that users have to consume in a fashion, that idea, though, should carry over to your work. And this thing that I respect the thing I'm building well enough to know that you may not care about accessibility, but I care about accessibility and I'm going to build the thing that makes the most sense for whatever user comes in or whatever challenge Mm -hmm. is facing us. And it's a hard argument to have when you have business stakeholders, marketing stakeholders, or accounting stakeholders in those
1: cases. Even if you're not designing, even if you're not affording accessibility for someone with, you know, the, the, breathing tube like stephen hawking like you don't have to go necessarily go that far but there's plenty of low-hanging fruit that you can take like font contrast ratios and you know maybe not using red and green buttons when you could be using like other colors you know they're like really simple decisions that you can make that um take minimal effort and cover a lot of ground
0: yeah well and it goes back to the the first two commandments right alt text the the first two commandments are: you are not the user, and you shall not. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, you shall consider yeah. users <laughs> superior to yourself. And when it comes to red green color blindness, red green color blindness is a huge consideration for users. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think people understand like how widespread that problem is, and yet. We still consider, you know, red stop lights, green proceed mm-hmm. lights. When we talk about like red green buttons, and green yeah. is accept, red is cancel, things like that. Red green color goes as high. Uh, National Eye Institute has it as high as like eight percent. Huh. That's not. It's not an inconsequential number. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not double digits. But yeah, when we talk about statistical significance, anything over five percent is something you have to be concerned with. And how many websites consider red or green one of their primary color palettes? And if yeah. they have to choose a contrasting color, end up picking the opposite the color. The other one. <laughs> yeah, as their <laughs> contrasting color. So those are things that you need to consider when it comes back to anything of this sort. So
1: oh, a while back I um, with the Diaper Base Project, I redid. W- I kind of unified all of our styles for buttons and things into like a single like module. And one of the things I said was, um, in the style guide, I said if you're going to use like we have our green advancing submit commit whatever button, and then we use I think we do use red for like the destructive button. But I, I but I said that anytime you're using button color is not enough. You must also use uh descriptive text of what the button does. And also some kind of icon that will display alongside it, just so that we're not ever relying on just one factor to indicate the purpose of the thing. Good for you. Yeah. I'm very proud. I'm proud
0: and happy with that decision. (laughs) Yeah. That's why we partner icons with our colors so frequently. Mm -hmm. A check mark versus an X mark. Uh, An X mark? A cross mark? So there's this uh, article over at Medium, uh, because all the articles are are at Medium. It's yeah. by Charlie Pothecary. and as best I can tell, Charlie Pothecary is her name. Uh, I apologize if it isn't, but because it's Charlie Poth on like Twitter and some of those places, yeah. Uh, so she shortened it, I think, and I but I think it's a play on apothecary kind of thing.
1: That's the name that is appears on the article. Yeah,
0: that is the name that is yeah. on the article, and I tried to look it up and figure it out before we started talking about it. So I apologize yeah. in advance because you will see this on Twitter and and, and the things. But you have a mm-hmm. article on Medium called The Business Case for Inclusive Design, which is a yeah. was a great article that I want to make sure folks uh, check out. And we had it on uh, – or it will had it on. We have it on our show notes to go check out. Yes. So I think this
1: gets back to the point that we made earlier about like the low hanging fruit. You know, it's not hard. Like the the benefits of doing things like um uh like making better hit boxes, like buttons that are big enough right. or yeah, like yeah. looking at color contrast or doing the area attributes. If you do them correctly, like these things the 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 cost of doing them is so minimal. Like it's seriously just like a few extra characters of typing. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: but it it adds a lot of benefit. There's yeah, doing the work for a lot of inclusive design is just about technique more than it is work.
1: the the uh, The thing that this thing reminded me of is so like last night I I rewatched Big Lebowski again. I haven't watched it in a while, and and there's that quote when the dude is talking to Walter in the bowling alley, and he's like, "You're not wrong, Walter, You're just an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> and any time that, like, uh, you know, uh, a PM or, or anyone suggests not doing accessibility because, and they cite some reason about it being too costly or not important or whatever, that's always the thing I think of, is, like, you're – whether or not you are factually or technically correct, which is the best kind of correct, whether or not you're correct
0: is irrelevant because it's still an asshole thing to do. Right. Yeah, it, it's yeah. hard because – those are debates that happen at the business level, at the strategic level, where mm-hmm. it does become hard as a developer to say, well, yeah, but we need more time to do X, Y, and Z because it's right for our users. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the article, which you should
1: read and which we're running out of time, but you should read it, and it makes some good cases for why it's important, why what th- things you can give to your business people explain why it's important to do inclusive we were going to talk about some lawsuit stuff but we're actually going to pump that down to the the episode when we focus on all of this a lot more that's Michael's fault
0: no no I think it's (laughs) I, I think it makes sense so number eight we're coming up to the end I swear number eight is you shall make decisions your children's children will be proud of You know what this reminds me of? It's very presumptive. Well, that too. (laughs) We did, what was it, episode three, four, about streaming Mm -hmm. video. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I have... Didn't you recently run into problems
1: with that? I have, (laughs) uh,
0: complications that are a conversation for another day with DirecTV. (laughs) And I am canceling, and I am switching. Uh... But the council account conundrum comes into play here. The idea of making decisions your children's children will be proud of is this concept of basically not following dark patterns. Mm -hmm. And I have talked on countless episodes of this and Real Time Overview about the importance of not paying attention to dark patterns. This is the idea that you build things with the goal of misleading your
1: users. A dark pattern, just to remind you if you're new to the show, a dark pattern is something, it's a a pattern that is a great way to do something evil. So, like, if you are making an app, a dark pattern might be, well, our research has shown that if we send push notifications to the user, they're more likely to engage with the app more regularly, which can lead to them spending more money. Like, that may be... This is, again, the, the Big Lebowski thing.
0: Like, you're not wrong. You're just an ass. Yeah, that's actually a great way of putting it, actually, which is because dark patterns are this idea that you're trying to get the user to do something against what they want to do. Yeah. So if I want to cancel my account, Normal UX, good UX would tell you to make canceling my my account as easy as possible. But if right. you are trying to hide the cancel link, that's a dark pattern. Yeah. And if I'm doing things that I will be proud of, interactions that I will be proud of and that users will appreciate, I would make my cancel button as straightforward as my apply button. C- CGP Grey on
1: his newsletter that you can subscribe to every time he sends out a mail, which is rare, which I love. But at the very top, it says, it literally says big, obvious unsubscribe button or big, something like that. But it makes it really clear. This is how you unsubscribe if you don't want to receive this anymore. But I never click it because I
0: like the content. So, so there. But then it's not a dark pattern, is it? No, it's it, like the opposite. It's, it's almost like, it's it's playing on the ironicness of the dark pattern at yeah. that point, which gets into like a, a weird place. <laughs> but if you want to learn more about uh dark patterns in particular, go check out darkpatterns.org. Uh they have a whole list of all of those things and they will take care of that for you. Number 9. You shall steal all the best UX out there. This is a a play on Jacob's law, really. Yes. I know we refer to that all the we time. We do, but it's it, so good. that means it's the most important of the laws. <laughs> uh, yeah, we yeah, we're referring back to this, but it's the idea that other users spend more time on sites that aren't you. Um yeah. unless you're Facebook or Instagram, this is something that absolutely applies to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you see that other sites are doing something well, it's not stealing so much as adhering to the expectation. I, I think that we need to establish the nuance and tease this out a little bit, because
1: on one hand, um, we had the previous point about not doing dark patterns. A lot of other pages are going to do dark patterns and users may be familiar with them, but you shouldn't do them. And the other thing is also, th- they, it specifically says, Stealing the best UX, not stealing features. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like their point is really about not coveting features. It's the same thing. Like just because everyone has a chat screen or if they have a chat function on their website,
0: we still- yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, you don't want to necessarily copy that or have a carousel or whatever. It.
0: You know what? It comes back to the the commandment of "You shall not covet features." Mm-hmm. It's one thing to say. Well, you're doing it well, so I'm going to copy that and do it well as well. Too many... That happens... I I think your experience would probably agree with this, but that happens all the time in higher ed. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, not just higher ed. Anywhere. Yeah. The idea of finding a good pattern and saying, oh, let's do that. That's not... I mean, maybe it's stealing. (laughs) The, The philosophy behind it is one thing, but... The argument yeah. that it's what's good for the user because it's what they're used to it, what's makes sense to them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: those things are worth exploring and adhering to. But, for instance, if every site has a chat feature, but a, a chat feature doesn't make sense for you, then don't mm-hmm. add it just because everybody else has it. Right. That may not be the best example, but that's the spirit of the message of don't go out and just add things to your site because you see everybody else doing it yeah okay wait wait so years ago i got my kids this
1: little digital camera and and it was like i i got it because the thing was like reinforced on all edges with rubber and i mean it was low res it was like 640 by 480 pixels or whatever but it was good but it had for whatever reason It had games on it. It had memory and it had tic tac toe and I think one other similar game. No reason. It's a freaking camera, but it had these things on it, and that's all the kids wanted to do on it was play these effing games. (laughs) Like, but not take pictures with it. Like, you didn't have
0: to do. Like, you didn't have to put that on there. Why would you do this? It it reminds me of the uh, Game Boy. Yeah. Remember when it came out with the camera and the printer? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, 1998? Yeah, I completely forgot about that. And so finally, we have the 10th... I want to say amendment. That's not right. Commandment. (laughs) This is... You know what? This is why I feel good about our show. Because when you subscribe to Drunken UX, you get Drunken UX.
1: We we were completely honest about what we are. We drink through the the whole show.
0: And it gets hard by the 10th amendment. Commandment. (laughs) Amendment, oh commandment. Well,
1: I I maintain that this is part of the reason people listen to us. It's, it's because so of that. This comes through,
0: and let me see if I still have a god voice. I may not. We'll see. Yeah. <clears throat> you shall always respect and defend your users.
1: Okay, so what does this
0: mean? So it goes back to the first two commandments, which are: you are not the user, and you shall consider. You users, you Authors, yeah. superior to yourself. authors was the one uh, because these are the amendments which guide us. Uh and then the exclusivity I, or the inclusivity. It's yeah. Accessibility. It, it's all about making sure that at the end of the day the code you write is for the people, not for you. So let's okay. let's talk about having personas is good. If you've yeah. gotten to that point, but at the same time, you also need to train your team to speak for those personas.
1: I I would argue that the personas are going to be representative of your typical user. They're going to be at at the first. They're going to be at the the top of the long tail with the big part. In. And that the the personas that the team needs to be trained on is the people in the long tail, which are the people who are not. They don't have personas like you unless you have a good reason to like if you are, if you're the ADA, for example, you're going to have blind users as a large portion of your user base or larger than normal. So you'll probably make a persona for them. But if you're making Amazon.com, maybe not. I mean, maybe because Amazon's so large, that's not a good example. But if you're making a website that isn't the ADA or something related, they may not be have a persona defined. But I think that that
0: is the audiences that the team needs to be trained to speak and advocate. I think it comes back to this idea of any voice that isn't yours is a good yeah. voice. Um, <laughs> Wait,
1: that's... is that, I'm, not, I'm taking that personally. Well, <laughs> that's because I can't stand
0: uh, your hair. Uh, and I wish you would grow a real beard. I can't. But, no, pride. but that idea of... Anything that is outside of yourself is productive, whether it's long tail, short tail, because uh, you still have to develop towards something. And if all you are aiming for is long tail, your stakeholders will get exhausted. Sure. And whether that's internal or external, it becomes a money thing, and there is a balance that Mm -hmm. has to be struck there regardless. But at least if the voice is outside of you, and you have trained your other team members to step in and speak for them. That's yeah. a plus. I, I think that
1: even if you're not acting on it, like even if you're ultimately not saying, I think we should do this. I think at least speaking up and saying, let's all be mindful that this exists. Blind users exist. Colorblind users exist. Users with um you know motor problems exist. And so that will help you to avoid making decisions that would definitely be bad for those audiences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um it's all about figuring out what things aren't you and what what mm-hmm. influences will come in and and factor into the development that you're doing so that you build things that account for whatever Flexibility you need. Mm-hmm. Whether that's colorblindness, yeah. deaf, uh, motor control issues, cognitive issues, thinking about how to build bend into your designs. Intoxicated users. <laughs> Intoxicated users at the end of the day. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed this. Be sure to check out Phil's article. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Yeah jump in go read it because it's way better than anything we've given you tonight and if you've made it to this point points to you uh but stick with us for 60 more seconds and we'll round things out and kill this show with uh love and kindness and toki and uh, Balvany and things and all the things and all the things and all the things The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com/drunkenux. That's n drunken cloud.com/drunkenux.
1: Thanks for listening tonight. Um, uh, it's, I gotta say, Michael, I, I know you're gonna cut a bunch of this out, but holy shit, this has been <laughs> entertaining. I, I would, we're currently at, uh, an hour and 51 minutes. Hey, come on. So. Yeah, we are. Oh, no, no, no. We, we are. are. We, we're at an hour and 51. So, however long you is, that's how much we've had to cut out. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I, I think it's it's awesome, and it's the, one of the reasons I love doing this show. So, Whatever criticism I gave
0: Toki at the start of the show. It's you know, good. it does the it's, job, doesn't it? It's technically alcohol. It is alcohol, technically but. alcohol. <laughs> uh, if you want to find <laughs> oh, us, yeah. find us somewhere.
1: Yeah, facebook.com, twitter.com, slash JunkinUX. Um, I have a new Twitter username. I'm twitter.com, slash Armahillo. That's where you can find me now. A R M A H I L L O. Also, check out Drunken UX on Instagrams at Instagram.com slash Drunken UX podcast. And check us out on Slack drunkenUX.com slash Slack. Uh, Dr- that one good. If
0: you. you're enjoying me struggling through apparently an actually very effective Toki at the end of the day, uh, be sure to drop us a review on iTunes, Podchaser. Uh, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you are. uh, Throw us a quick click and give us, you know, one star or five stars or a review or whatever. Um, Give us six stars. Let us or let folks know that you enjoy us and let us know if you enjoy us. And if not, we will improve that. Um, Otherwise, I hope you learned a lot. Check out Phil's article. Check out the other uh, resources we will have linked in the show notes over at DrunkenUX.com. And the only other thing I can say is not what I usually say, which is uh, the other thing. But uh, if you are in Missouri, come May, I will be speaking over at the Web Accessibility Summit uh, in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, And if you see me, say hi, do the things. Oh! If you're in San Francisco. Who goes?
1: Nobody goes to San Francisco. (laughs) I'm going to be in San Francisco uh,
0: at the end of the month for a conference. No, uh what is that? Uh uh um, March twenty eight? No.
1: Uh it's Ruby by the Bay. Just look up Ruby by the Bay, it's those dates. That's where That looking.
0: is where Aaron will be, and otherwise, I have one thing left to say. And only one thing, and that is to keep your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye. <laughs>